Hello, fellow songwriters, and welcome to the fifth episode of the How Songs Are Made podcast, where we talk to notable artists about their songwriting process. I am your host, Trey Xavier, and today we're going to be talking to the Juno-nominated band, The Agonist, about the songwriting process for their recent EP, Days Before the World Wept, which is ultra sick. I have been binging it over the last week and really enjoying it. Today's episode of the podcast is sponsored by me and my brand new songwriting course, Complete Rock and Metal Songwriting. If you are like most musicians, then you've got hundreds of riffs and intros and ideas written and no finished songs. Well, in this course, I show you how to go from any little nugget of an idea to a final full-blown song arrangement with all the trimmings. So sign up for the course at the link in the description and I'll see you there. So before we get up and running, Days Before the World Wept was released on October 15th of last year. It was produced by Christian Donaldson, who's done a bunch of amazing records. Um, it's the band's seventh studio recording. So please give a very warm welcome to Vicky and Simon from The Agonist. Hello. Good. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. So uh, where are you guys located each? You're in different spots, right? Different places? Yeah. I'm in Chicago. And I'm in Montreal, where most of us, the rest of us are. That's quite a commute for band practice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we don't really practice unless there's a reason to, like unless we're going on tour or we have a show or we need to write an album, then I go to Montreal or record an album, not write an album, sorry. Thankfully, we can do that now through the internet and all that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it seems like of all the times to uh, have this kind of a problem could be a worse time you know like remember what the internet was like in like 1996 or whatever yeah music would just grind to a halt like nobody would put out albums nobody would record them that's not true you could use like a a telephone and like call each other and be like yo dude i got the sick riff and like (laughs) i know for a fact that's how certain people like auditioned for bands back in the day when there was no other way yeah if you do a long distance be like you got well, what's it? Oh, in uh, Back to the Future? Hey, this is the... Listen, check this out. It's the future of music. And he knew. Just heard it over the phone. <laughs> exactly. That uh, actually is a great, it's a great segue. It's a terrible segue, but we're going to use it. To how you wrote this EP. Was it written during the pandemic, first of all? Most of it. Well, we had one song that we redid from 2016, was it, Simon? When did five come out or 17 don't make me use google for my own releases (laughs) (laughs) so yes we have the song resurrection that we re-recorded and uh remixed and all that and then we had two songs that were written kind of around the same time that orphans was written which we also recorded this year um and then two brand new songs that we we wrote during the pandemic okay so what was the songwriting process like for this overall and how is it different from how you've done it previously for, i guess for the for the songs that mostly were were the brand new ones more than anything else but just in general well like we kind of were saying in the beginning through the use of technology we uh, were able to get it done one might say even more efficiently than you know the old school organic way of showing up in a jam space and bouncing some riffs off and 
not saying there's not, you know, excellent benefits in doing it like that, but we were able to organize everything and basically bounce ideas back and forth and add parts, remove parts. You know, it's all, all becomes quite easy when you have the tools, right? Yeah. So, I mean, for a lot of our older albums from back in the day, we did kind of write in the jam room. But I think, uh, actually, we started doing that around the Orphans period, I think, starting using Cubase more and doing that possibly even before. I know that maybe you would add something, Vicky, to that. but Yeah, you're drawing a blank sort of right now. I think you started getting involved in using Cubase during the Orphans period. Danny and I were doing it. I think since I've, well, not I've Providence, since five. I've Providence, I think you guys still wrote in the jam space, hmm. old school style. Then we started doing it on five. And I think Orphans was around the time that you started, like, for the first time programming drums. Mm-hmm. Although I do have a memory of, like, sitting on an electronic drum set with, like, you manning the console, yeah. as it were, yeah. at Danny's at Danny's apartment old apartment so and that was for five like five so yeah <laughs> yeah it might have even been resurrection the song because that was, was one of the was. yeah that was one of the first ones we wrote off five and i just remember that like i mean i know how to use cubase but i'd, I'd never like recorded drums <laughs> um the only stuff i'd done with with midi was like keyboard stuff so like simon was playing and he's not used to drum kit electronic drum kit i'm not used to editing so there's all these like dots in Cubase, I'm like, what does any of this mean? And I just got so upset. I got up and I'm like, Simon, fix it. Today you're going to learn how to edit drums. <laughs> that very well may have been my introduction to it. Yes. <laughs> That's the genesis of the of the creative process with, with the DAW. Like, same. Like, I just wanted to be able to record and write things myself without having to, I don't know, without being a slave to other musicians, like having to bring people in. So I like just banged my head against the wall over and over again until I could use Pro Tools. (laughs) And then it's like, all right, cool. (laughs) There's probably an official way to do this, but I don't know what it is. Oh, yeah. The number of times that you're like, well, I learned how to do it this way. And instead of like walking a straight line, you're kind of just doing that. And someone comes along and is like, but did you know you could just like there's a shortcut and you're like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> you're like, ah, oh, the hours of my life that I'll never get back. Yeah. could be something so simple too as like, you know, the hotkey for like setting your marker mm-hmm. at the beginning of the riff that you're working on instead of, I'm saying this for, out of experience <laughs> because I'm all constantly clicking on the grid. Okay, I have to go here. Ah, I didn't click it properly. Like, come on, there has to be a better way. Of course there is. Of course there is. Um, so let's. what were the two songs that were completely brand new? Remnants in Time and Days Before the World Wept. Okay. So uh, let's talk about Remnants in Time because um, that one sticks out to me as, as a standout, um, even though they're all pretty fucking amazing. That one like really kicks it off. What was the initial um, seed of the idea and how did it like grow into a complete track like it is with all lyrics and, and the big like layers of vocals and everything? Like walk us through it. It's okay if it's from you guys' perspective. I mean, I don't know how you know. It's just funny that you chose that song because that one, that one, we had a lot of a lot of back and forth to turn it into what it was. Whereas Days Before the World Web was a lot more like when Danny, because uh, Danny's not here with us today, but he usually starts like 
writing songs and then we add to it so like the difference between the two is insane like he wrote days before the world wept and the changes we made were very minor like you know um simon did his his drums obviously and i i asked for some lead guitar melody changes so they don't clash with the vocals but that was like here it is it's a song it's great uh remnants in time on the other hand the first version we heard i'd say like 50 percent of that actually made the final song or something like that simon <laughs> i'd say that's actually a perfect example like the most interesting anyways as it was not the most like smoothest of songs but ended up like in terms of writing but ended up being one of the the better songs and yeah it was basically like quite progressive ish before as yeah danny is the main songwriter and like he'll start writing and so he had started this song and it, it really went somewhere it, it went somewhere different in the beginning half of the song, let's say. And it was just decided to just basically start from like halfway point and like of what was written and start the song from there. And then from that point, we added all the bells and whistles on the inside. And then you added the piano on the outside Yeah, on both sides. So we kind of just like chopped off like, and that's really hard to do. You know, it's not easy to govern yourself like that. Yeah. I don't think we've ever, like, maybe you guys have done that in the pre-prod phase before I even received a song, but I don't think we've ever taken a song and ripped it apart like that and been like, no, these riffs don't fit, you know, toss them, write new riffs, make it work. Up until the very last part, like, the up until the very last day, I was, drums were done, bass was done, everything was done, guitars were done. I was driving to Montreal to record my vocals, um, and I was staying with our producer, Chris Donaldson, and there was still one riff in the song that I actually kind of wrote. Like, I did, like, a piano version of it, and Danny transcribed it, and then I told him, I don't actually like it, how it sounds on guitar. Let's try and think of something else. And nobody thought of anything else. And That's not true. I just show up. Yeah, I show up to my producer's house, and the first thing we do is we crack open some beers because we we love like uh, craft beers, and I brought some as gifts um, from the states. So we open up the beers, and like a few beers go go, and I'm like, Chris, I don't like this riff. What are we gonna do? <laughs> and Chris is like, I'm gonna write a riff now, you know. And we just go to his studio. Like we're both kind of drunk. He's trying to play guitar. He's trying to play on his, I think b-tuned guitar for a c-tuning song and transcribe everything on the spot and he comes out of it just being like this is the best riff i've ever written and you know goes to sleep wakes up the next day he's like okay it was it was a pretty good riff but it needs some work you know no this is this is exactly the <laughs> shit that that i'm looking for great. this is gold great yeah but but the point is that like ev for that song we really like pushed it to the very end. Even the piano, like I wrote the the intro piano. There was no like, we, we didn't decide to have a piano at the end. Like it wasn't said. It was just the song ended and the song ended. I think it ended with bass. And then we were talking with uh, Chris Kells, um, our bassist who also does our music videos. And we were like trying to figure out the visuals for the music video. I was like, oh, it'd be great if it comes full circle. So like I'm there playing piano in the beginning of the video and then like I'm playing piano at the end of the video. And he's like, but there's no piano in the song. And <laughs> I'm like, not yet. <laughs> not yet. Um, and even that, it was like the last day, like my last day here in this 
goblin basement. You. Like, before driving to Montreal, I just turned on the piano and I isolated just my vocal part and I started playing to to my vocals. And I just remember sending it to Simon that night. And I'm like, do you like this? And Simon goes to bed like a normal person. So he wakes up the next day in the morning and he hears it and he's like, it's perfect. I love it. And I'm like, good, because that's it. I can't change it. Like, I'm leaving. I'm driving tomorrow. This is it. (laughs) That's heroic. (laughs) That's really interesting that the music video would influence the song when I cuz I love music videos. I think it's like it's like probably my favorite art form, like just the combination of music that I love and like it's almost like you're reverse scoring something, you know, like if you make a score for a TV show or something, you're making music to fit what's on the screen. Music videos the other way around. I think that's so cool. Um and uh, when I'm writing, I'll often picture what the music video might look like for a song. And the, the visual aspect of it has a, has a pretty big influence on how the song sounds sometimes. Um, and that's a great example of, of that kind of like, because you're, you're thinking of the story more so. And like songwriting is, a, is storytelling to some extent. And um, that's, that's pretty great. I love that. So you, were, you guys were ruthless with the, uh, with the arrangement. You, you yeah. <laughs> chopped a whole half of the song off as it was presented to you and, uh, and just focused it more so, I guess. Yeah. That's cool. I think that's important. Yeah. I think it was just like, like we're, we're known for, for being like experimental and like mixing up genres and stuff like that. I just feel like maybe that song originally was too many different, too genre bending, but not in a good way necessarily. Because I think you don't really know until the vocals are on a song. When I was listening to it, like the original version of that song, the ideas that were coming to me vocally were just too, it was too like, this isn't going to work. Because sometimes you could have like genre bending riffs and then the vocals come in and they make it cohesive. But the vocals that I was going to put, it was just going to be night and day as well. And I'm like, well, this just sounds like two different songs. So why why not make them two different songs? I find that more ideas tend to be less exciting than a few really solid ones. Make it feel a little more like like it's got direction. Too many ideas like kitchen sink style can be like distracting rather than interesting, you know? Is that a typical way that you guys go about? Like, how much influence does the band as a whole generally have? Like, if uh, um, you say the guitarist is writing the the majority of the music, I, that's pretty typical. Like, guitarists love to love to write riffs and and songs and parts, and then like, is this good? Um, <laughs> but like, um, how often do you get that deep into it and? start eating parts of the song and all that, what'd you say? I miss a lot. Like by the time something is presented to me, they've already, you know, gone at it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, it will start with Danny's like pretty good at writing like full songs to present. Like you don't always come up with an idea that's conclusive. Sometimes you come up with like part of a song. Like I also write you know a lot and I'll, that's my problem is I, I always you know write to a certain point and then it's like okay i'll come back and finish it because i'm not inspired but danny's pretty good at usually writing from front to back so then he'll do that send it to me i'll put uh 
you know, I'll, I'll lately have been programming drums and getting pretty good at it. So I'll program the drums as to what I know I can play and what I would want to hear. Sometimes I'll also take it to our jam room and play a little bit to just the, the tracks and that will adjust the way I can program. But through the programming of the drums, things will happen that are inevitable. Like, for example, oh, um, let's just chop off this little one last bar here and just make it a silence, like a cut or something. So that when it just goes bang and then like the next riff is more you know, um, explosive and stuff like that will happen when I'm doing the drums and like the Danny didn't necessarily think of, or I'll, I might think of another idea on guitar that I want to add over. So usually the drums will get programmed after the guitar is laid down and that's pretty much the meat and potatoes of it. Um, and Mac, it's just, it's been so long since we've done this that it's like, I have to like <laughs> recall it's, it's been like, it's been, like a it's year. been years by now. Yeah. Well, it feels like forever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's basically how it gets off the ground. Yeah. Yeah. I think like Danny does like, you know, he does his own parts to the full extent and then he kind of mimics everyone else's parts. So like uh, Paco, for example, is our lead guitar player. So he plays like most of like the, the technical solos that you hear. So Danny will even mimic that. He'll like record a very basic melodic solo just to be like, here, Paco, take this do whatever you want. It's yours. You know, um, the only thing he doesn't mimic is the vocal parts. Um, he's sent me some lyrics in the past. So have you, Simon, but for the most part, like I've pretty much done whatever I wanted in terms of vocals. Um, so what happens like after they've done this process and I get the song, it's just kind of like, okay, this is what I have to work with. Often, it really depends because like, okay, when we, ha when we have like a chug riff that's like not playing much, like maybe it's just like the root or just like a power chord. I feel like I can do whatever I want. It's cool. It's fine. The problems start when we, when I get like a dense part in the song and there's like three layers of guitar and drums are blast beating and this and that. And I'm like, okay, suddenly I'm, I'm in a box um, especially when there's like dissonant chords in the guitars and, and I want to come in and put like layers of harmonies and choirs and stuff like that. It's like, oh, this is too much. So I think the only times that this happened on, on this EP was, uh, Remnants in Time and Days Before the World Wept, where I just kind of went a little bit back and forth with Danny and I was like, hey, try, try altering your chord to this chord instead. And that'll open up my um the possibilities for me to add choirs and stuff like that without being like okay these are the only two tracks i can do because we've exhausted all the notes and anything i add will just sound wrong you know so there's that you're like leave some notes for me please <laughs> yeah leave some space guy come on there's that and then i feel like the other issue that maybe we have sometimes is that i feel a lot of our riffs are written for vocals they're like vocal riffs so then I end up like recording all my vocals and I'm like, ah, shit, where am I going to breathe now? So insert riff, like like that first riff that comes after the chorus of um, Days Before the World Wept. You guys added that afterwards because I'm like, I can't, I, I can't, like I've been screaming and singing the entire time. I need a break, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, that was like you had, we were like talking about a certain kind, like we need like a, a breathing room. Uh, of groove and then you're you really like the groove like the certain groove so we just decided to take that part and just like extend it and then and then i actually added this little trippy alien lead over that and then that part became like 
just one of the coolest parts of the song because it's like a little breather, like you said, right after the chorus, after all this epicness happens. And now it's time to just headbang and just like, okay, now I'm getting back into the groove. Where are we going now? And just that little segue, just because of a random idea, like I need to breathe, ended up just being so cool. It seems like that that's the kind of thing where writing the kind of old school way, bunch of people in a room writing all together, which has a lot of drawbacks, I think. But that that's the kind of thing that gets picked up in the moment because yeah. you're actually singing it with the whole band and you're like, <sighs> you know, you're dying and you're like, we got to put something here. But in the yeah. studio, you could just get through it. You wouldn't even notice that until it's your first time to play it on stage and you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. Which... I do to a certain extent. Like, I know when I'm pushing my limits. I know when, okay, maybe this part isolated isn't that hard, but by the time I get there, I'm out of breath. I'm dying. I I can't do it. Like, I was talking uh, last night, actually, on the stream. Um, I was was singing Resurrection, and someone asked me um, on Twitch, on the stream, sorry, just to clarify, yes, on Twitch. I stream on Twitch. Uh, someone asked me, he's like, "How? what parts are hard for you? And I'm like, it's not necessarily that the part is hard. It's just everything that I've done leading up to that part. If I'm out of breath, if I can't support these notes, it's going to be a disaster. And Resurrection is a perfect example of that because like the end is just these like crazy high notes and it just goes higher and higher and higher on what's already a six seven minute song i don't know six minutes i think so yeah yep. yeah it's sometimes you're you're battling between like experience like i know i shouldn't do this because it's gonna be hard versus oh but the song would sound so cool if i just did this <laughs> yeah, that's like you're at the end of the race. You just ran a marathon, and that finish line is there, and you're just like, okay, just go, just gotta burn it, just burn it, give it all you got, just like and running on fumes until the last stretch of the. Oh, finally, except for then we play alive, and then you gotta play another song. I remember reading this little bit about Bon Jovi. Like, poor dude, like burn himself out so bad because there's like a I don't know a high G or some, some ridiculous high note in uh, Living on a Prayer. And they had to go out and sing it every single night on tour for like 10 years. And they didn't, you know, when it was, they're writing the song, they were just like, let's just do the sickest thing. You know, we got John Bon Jovi just kill, just woo! <laughs> sounds awesome on the recording. And then 10 years later, he's like, why, why <laughs> did I do that? God, kill me and my suffering. That's hard to consider when you're just sitting there at your keyboard and you're like, this note sounds great there. But you do think of that is, is the main thing. You're considering that to an extent. You're considering the, your physical limitations when you do it. So the question is, what school of thought are you? What school of thought should one take? Should we go the, let's not think about that and just go all out and go push it to the limit? max it out see what happens figure it out later or do we go the conservative route of well i know i can execute this perfectly but am i am i pushing it i think like with everything balance is key like i think there are physical limitations um that will never like this is still going to be a problem one year two years three years from now ten years from now versus limitations that 
if you train hard enough and if you take all the necessary precautions, you can avoid that happening. Um, so like, like from my perspective, adding a super low note, let's say, or a super high note that has to be like, that's at the edge of my range and it has to be like a great day for me. That's a limitation that I would never take on a main vocal part in a song because you're literally tossing a coin. Will I hit it this day or will I not? But adding notes that are like not at the edge, but like right before the edge that I know that like, okay, maybe don't headbang like crazy. Don't run around right before this part comes, you know, make sure you're standing, you're able, you're, you're able to hear yourself to hit that note, then it's okay. So it's like, I think you, you have to weigh like what, what limitations are, you know, forever and ever in time versus if I do everything that I need to do, it'll be okay. Yeah. Cause I, to me, that's yeah. one of the parts of being, a, sorry to cut you off of being a professional is knowing what you can do and what you can do really well and knowing your limits too. Yeah. Cause I, the last thing I want to say is like, I think you need to, to take those chances sometimes. Like you need to push yourself because if I go back in time and I remember certain things that were really difficult for me when I first did them, some of those things today, they're not hard at all. Um, and it's like, I got over that hurdle and that difficulty by just doing it and doing it and doing it again. And it just becomes second nature at that point. Yeah. Um, I think that's an important, um, perspective. Like you have to, when, when somebody writes a song, let's say like the, like, um, like a guitarist or a keyboard player or something like writes a song and writes parts for everybody else. Like guitar is hard, but it's also it's also kind of easy actually in a lot of ways compared to vocals and drums. I'm not just kissing your ass because you're the vocalist and the drummer, but like those are the like those are the athletic parts of the band, really. Like the drummer is running in place the whole time if you're if they're playing metal, just about. <laughs> um, and uh, that's like a you know like a full body athlete, and like I mean the the there's the singers. Like it's it's also a full body thing, but like more so your your system, right? And th those things can't you can't change the strings on your voice or the you know change the drum heads on your throat. Um, so you have to be a lot more careful about it when you're in the composition part of it. It's got these long reaching uh, effects, unlike. Um, I don't know, like a, a keyboard part that will be part of the backing track or whatever. So that's really cool to hear how you go about it and how you're thinking about it more than anything else when it goes into the songwriting part. Um, I'm curious about your approach to the lyrics on this. And um, is is there any continuous thread throughout the EP? Um, any kind of concept or anything or how you went about that? Yeah, it it, it is a concept EP that like accidentally sort of happened like we had as I mentioned the three songs um that were older and I saw even though they weren't written to be connected I saw a connection there and I was like okay what if I just write it was great because then it gave me the ideas for the the, the last two songs um to just kind of connect the dots and and make it flow and be a concept EP that wasn't originally planned to be that um, and I think the, the beauty in this EP is that each song on its own has its own meaning. Um, 
but then it's like a piece of a larger puzzle as well. Kind of like those TV shows where it's like the whole season, there's a plot going on, but then each individual episode has its own like theme too, right? Um, so, I mean, without going into like crazy, crazy details, because I could talk about this for like two hours maybe, um, the it, it, it dabbles with like afterlife. So we have like a protagonist character that Remnants in Time, the very first song, basically dies. And it just shows us his journey through like um, purgatory and going to, th- to hell and back and being resurrected and coming back to this world, which is the last song, Days Before the World Wept. That's not the world he remembered. Um, it's Everything's kind of very different, very distorted, very difficult. Um, and just to answer this question that a lot of people ask when they see the lyrics on that song, did you write this about the pandemic? Uh, no. Because <laughs> I actually wrote these lyrics in um, 2019, I think, like before any of this happened. Um, I just think that like, what's happening right now with like COVID and pandemic and all that. It's like a recurring thing in time and history that, you know, humanity and mankind has had to endure. So I think my reference reference points were like other historical events, I guess. Um, but yes, that's, that's the general theme of the lyrics. Okay. So um, the way that you've described it, um, aside from you going in and, and chopping parts a bit like on the on remnants and time and all that and um you're generally getting pretty well fleshed out tracks and then basically top lining um on top of them with changes so you'll come up with uh from what you've described i think it sounds like you'll come up with something and maybe be like "Mm, this lead guitar part is making it hard for me to sing on this can you change this note that kind of thing how do you what's the like general process for how you go about doing that uh just just writing your parts in general when you get one of these tracks um i it's very strange like i the lyrics and the melodies kind of come at the same time at least the placements like I'll have one or two words that are popping. Like, I'm one of those people where when I think of the melody in my head, there there's a line there. There's a sentence. It's not just the notes. Um, and maybe I, I won't keep that sentence as is in the final version, but maybe I'll be like, oh, but that word was great, you know, and I'll build the rest. Um, but I think... Ultimately, melody comes first before the lyrics. I never want to write lyrics that'll like make my vocals too like crazy and like I'm trying to fit them in music that it just doesn't fit, right? It doesn't work. So, um, so basically, I focus on the melody and the placements first, not necessarily the exact notes, but like the patterns, like the the length of the notes and how many will be in this part, and. I like to think ahead, so I kind of write the main part with some harmonies at the same time. So if I'm getting this impression that, like, here I want this to be, like, a big part with, like, a lot of intersecting melodies and stuff like that, I can't just finalize the main vocal without thinking of the other layers. Is it going to work? Is it not going to work? So I kind of do all that at once. Um, And having a keyboard and knowing chords and stuff like that is a big, big help. Uh, so what I'll do, I'll, I'll transcribe the guitar. I'll literally isolate the guitar layers and record them on my piano and then put that all on a MIDI and see what's like 
conflicting and sometimes dissonant chords are great I love dissonant chords and you can just go in with the vocals and accentuate um that but sometimes it's just too much so like if there's like one guitar layer that feels like oh maybe don't don't put a a D sharp there, put a D instead so that the vocals can whatever. I don't want to get too technical here, but yeah, it's, it's a you back and forth. You get as technical as you like. <laughs> yeah, it's a back and forth. And then like I, I have some VSTs too. So like I'll, I'll um, record that on a MIDI and I'll put like a fake lead guitar sound, you know, and send it back and be like, hey, can you record this with an actual guitar um, and send it back? And um yeah, it's it's really cool that we're talking about this too. Like, cause yesterday um I was on on Twitch, like I mentioned, and I actually opened up a project and it was the the demo project for Days Before the World Wept. And Remnants in Time. I opened both, yeah. And I was just like, Yeah, here they are, big blocks, colored blocks of vocals and the layers and yeah. <laughs> so you're really diving in and dissecting stuff to make it work the way that you want it to. That's amazing. I've worked with some people who are just like, I just, it's this, I make it better. This is bad. This is bad. Fix it. You're like, no, I'm going to find that note and I'm going to fucking zap it. Yeah. And you're going to do it the yeah. way that I want it. Yeah. And sometimes it's a mistake. Like I remember this, this is funny. This is a, this is a pretty funny story. It was at the end of the bridge of Days Before the World Wept, right before the last chorus. There were a lot of like layers there before I did the vocals and there were like three guitars and I was hearing this really weird note. It was like a, a pinch harmonic or something like that, but it was off. It was like, let's say like, I, I don't know what the scale is there, but let's say it was supposed to be um, an A sharp. It was a B. So it was causing like the semitone, whatever madness. And I tell Dan, I message Dan, I'm like, is this intentional? Cause like, this is too far. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Let me open the project. So he opens his project. He goes through all the guitars. He's like, is this what you're talking about? And it was this like, like tiny, like little, like a really high, like thing that was just so out of the scale that like accidentally happened when he was recording his guitar. He's like, he told me if I tried to redo this, I wouldn't be able to. <laughs> He was like, yeah, he's like, how the fuck did you hear that? And I'm like, <laughs> it was so bad. It just like, that was all I could hear. And then he re-recorded it, that one part. And I was like, oh, sanity. Thank you. <laughs> Relief. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it, it was a high note. It was a high frequency too. If it was like in the low end, I feel like it could have like slid, flight under the radar, but it was like the highest note in the guitar layers. So it didn't matter that it was like, lower in volume it was still just like grabbing my attention and not letting me focus so <laughs> it's a blessing and a curse yeah sometimes having a good ear is annoying it's kind of like people who have a uh, perfect pitch they say that that exactly it's a blessing and a curse because you'll you'll hear it and you know exactly what it is and what how far out of tune it is and there's nothing you can fucking do about it if you're just like listening to music yeah you know you'd be like yeah i can hear that the second violin in this is 23 cents out of tune yeah guess i'll die <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I've met like, people like that. Yeah. Sometimes I want to go back and like untake all of my ear training shit in college just so that I can enjoy music the way that I did when I was like 15 or whatever. You just don't care. Like, this is sick. That's a sick riff. That's actually, you got to think like that, right, yeah. too. You got to have that. You got you to gotta harness that, too. And it can be hard to like peel off the layers of, you know, training or what have you. Because you got to grab people that don't know anything about anything and they just want to hear good shit, right? That's another battle. I know we trailed off the discussion here, but like that's another battle when when you're a perfectionist like that where you're like, you just got to like sit down and be like, okay, does it really matter? Like what percentage of people are going to hear this and notice it and be upset by it? I feel like I've I've gotten better, at least this year. Because like I literally spent, I have spent, like you, you mentioned in the beginning, uh, hours and hours on something. And then it's like nobody noticed. And I'm like, well, is it worth it? You know, I'd rather spend two minutes of my life on something and <laughs> and people notice it. So it's a battle. I just think when it comes to like layers of harmonies, I just feel like that is the reason a lot of people enjoy like pop songs and catchy songs and they don't even know it. Because if we go to like the biggest hits, there is like an ocean of layers and harmonies back there. And you th- you're singing along to the main vocal line because that's the one that's prominent. And you don't realize that those layers in the back are what are bringing that out and making it stand out. And if you remove all those layers, you're going to be like, oh, this song isn't as good anymore. So I feel like it's one of those nerdy things that it's like, okay, maybe people don't understand, but it makes a huge impact. And you're tracking a lot of huge layers of choir sounds and stuff like that. It's important to get it really right because if there's, it's less whether or not the ones sound good that you're recording, the main ones, almost all of them, 99% of it. If you, ha- It's just like you were saying, if there's one shitty note in there, it's like getting a turd in your soup. Like it's not, it's, you don't go, hmm, this is a delicious soup, except but. for this turd. No, you're just going to go like, ooh, like that does not sound, it doesn't sound good. It doesn't sound right. There's something fucking wrong. And the average listener isn't going to go, Ah, see what they've done here is there's a flat nine on this chord where normally you would want a natural. No, that's just they just go like, nah, that sucks. Next, I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, being a perfectionist in that sense. I'm curious if you have any particular systematic way that you go about uh, layering these big choirs of parts. If you like, um, by the time you get to the studio to record those, are they already very well stacked and written the way that you want them to? Everything's done in advance because, like, the last thing I want to do is show up uh, and and tell my producer, like, yeah, I want to build a big choir. I have no idea how to do it. You help me. We're going to figure it out today. No, I'm not going to do that. He would do it. Oh, he would do it. He's the nice guy in the world, and he wouldn't complain about it, but he still, I'm like, I can still see, like, the oof, boy, like, look in his eyes when when I tell him that we're doing a choir here, even though everything's already done. Just because he knows it's going to, we're looking at, like, 40, 50, 60 tracks. I don't even know. He's also probably thinking, where the heck am I going to put these things in the mix? Like, I'm going to place them here, 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 here. It's like a smorgasbord of pins on the... Actually, now there's no problem with, like, the latest version of Pro Tools. But I think in Orphans, there was a limitation to the tracks. So he had to mix all the choirs into like one stereo track and put them 
in uh, the other project because he reached his peak of tracks, which I don't know what it was. Oh, wow. But uh, now there's no more limitation in Pro Tools, so it's not a problem anymore. You've broken Pro Tools, Vicky. You did it. <laughs> well, not just the vocal tracks, like all the tracks he had on the song, obviously. Anyways, I like I start by the, the standard stuff, right? Like the classic thirds and octaves where are needed and stuff like that. And then I see where I can supplement like with a sixth or a fourth or a fifth, wherever it makes sense. It really depends like what the music is doing. And then movements, movements are important. Like you have to make sure that your melodies are intersecting. They're not following the main vocal like pattern. So like if the main vocal goes up and down and up and down, you don't want your harmonies always doing that with the main vocal. It's, it's static, it's boring, uninteresting. So I play around with that a lot. Sometimes I'll have, like, I'll record, like, the male voices. I'll try, you know, so, like, I'll, I'll change my voice and, like, you know, make it more, like, yeah, or something to, <laughs> to just kind of, like, fake, you know, male voices. But sometimes instead of, let's say, I'm doing an octave lower from a female voice, I won't have the exact same melody. I'll, I'll change it up a little bit. So, like, let's say the, the female vocal went up. This one can go down instead and just like, yeah, stuff like that to make it interesting. And I guess another thing that I think is really important with choirs is mixing them properly. Don't hard pan every single track, like maybe keep some tracks that are only on the left or only on the right. Kind of how you do with drums, right? So Simon, something you can relate to when you hear a drum set in the mix, it's not centered. It's not, you're not hearing every drum hit everywhere like some things are only on the left some things are only on the side and it opens up like that whole frequency spectrum so kind of do the same with with backing vocals it's kind of nice when you have like only like a high kind of pop up on the on the right or the left or whatever so it's a tedious process but every little bit is important i remember being in some choirs in high school and college and Thank God it was a choir. Nobody needs to hear me singing by myself. They, the way that they've, over the years of vocal choir music, sort of mixed it in real life before there was speakers or microphones or anything, was to have the individual sections be in certain places to emphasize that same thing that you're talking about, like that same idea, sort of mixing it. And same with like a, like a symphony and all that. They have thought about all of that in a certain way and put them in certain places, tried different things over time. And I think whether or not people consciously realize it, they are used to hearing it that way. And if you are thinking about that when you're when you're writing and, and recording and mixing that, you can kind of play off of that. And uh, I, I agree, it sounds it's, it's a, makes a big difference because then it's not just this homogenous mush of, of parts. You can hear the individual things and that's part of what makes it cool. Sorry, before we move on, I just saw a comment in the chat. I feel like maybe I should talk about this. Just, uh, well, two things. One person asked how we re recreate this live. We obviously put it on backing tracks. <laughs> Just like any band that writes a million keyboard and sound samples, they're on tracks. There's like even bands like Epica, you know, there's there's Kuhn. He's playing the main keyboard part, but everything else is on tracks. Um, so, yeah, there's that. And then there's one comment saying, Abba used to put really out-of-tune Bvox into stacks to make them sound full. So that was another... That's a very important thing, too, when you're recording um, choirs. 
you don't go in afterwards with the pitch correction and make them perfect because you're going to reduce those 60 tracks into like 10 tracks. Because imagine if you had 60 people singing at the same time, they wouldn't have the exact same pitch. So yes, you have to preserve that natural, you know, no auto-tune on choirs, basically. <laughs> so wait, then this person is saying that ABBA used to like get together after the actual good takes were done and be like, all right, boys, let's uh, let's do a bunch of crap. Like, let's <laughs> just like wing it. I don't think they did it after. I think they mean like, the in-between, like, oh, this wasn't quite perfect, let me do it again, but let's keep that not-perfect take, too. Well, let's open some beers, boys. Let's get this done right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That was a great take. Now do it shitty. (laughs) (laughs) Said no one ever except them. I'm a little curious about whether or not you guys have studied this stuff in any sort of formal capacity, um, it sounds like you know a pretty good bit about what you're talking about. Um, I'm always curious because it's pretty rare in in rock and metal that people study it. Some people do, but I'm curious if you guys have any formal music education or if you've even just studied songwriting and theory stuff on your own. It's funny. The only lessons I've actually had were for the instrument that I don't primarily play, which is guitar. I had guitar lessons. I started off playing guitar at like around 12 years old eventually realized I could play some drums and then I just learned drums on my own and then everyone needed a drummer. So I ended up being a drummer. (laughs) Fast forward to today. Um, But no, I don't have any drum lessons, any, you know, training for drums or just a bit of guitar, just a general sense of guitar and melody. And honestly, I did have some, I I tried to go into like a a music school and it just was not for me. It just was not for me. And it's funny because I scored like like 95% on my ear training exam. And then the written theory was like horrible. It was like 5%. Like I just was like awful. So there you have it. I'm just more of a by ear kind of guy, I guess. That's just me though. Yeah. Yeah. And and Simon has a great ear too. Like uh, he's the one in the band that like sometimes will listen to a song and like kind of just like do harmonies and stuff like that on the spot, which you can't do if you don't have a good ear. Yeah. I guess my, my journey's kind of similar. I... I've never had any like formal lessons when it comes to to music theory or anything like that. I'm I'm self-taught. Vocally, I've only had like maybe a year or something of like classical singing lessons. So that's how I'm able to do the choir stuff. It's not it's not me mimicking, you know, soprano voices. I actually learned how to do that the right way. But everything else vocally um self-taught and music self-taught. Um although I do know my basic music theory. So like I, I taught myself that, but I think the, the thing that helped me out the most, and this is why I criticize, uh, guitar tabs. Don't get me wrong here. I just criticize guitar tabs because I feel like, (laughs) I know I was so scared to say that, but I feel like, no, please. Okay. So I also, I I don't, there you go. I feel like it's a very easy way to learn how to play, but, but if you're self-taught, you're not really learning. You're not really training your ear. Um, I learned how to play most things. Well, I, I don't play songs really on the piano, but every time I hear a song, I'll turn on the piano and I'll try to find the chords using my ear. And sometimes as a shortcut, I'll like look up chords, but I think that's more useful than learning tabs because tabs don't explain theory at all. It's just like, put your hands on these tabs 
each finger there and play it, you know, going back off my rant from for guitar tabs. But yeah, self-taught. Feel free to rant <laughs> at, at any time on any topic. That's what we're that's what we got you here for. Show us where the tabs hurt you, Vicky. Yeah, the tabs <laughs> hurt me very much. I rant a lot. People know this. People that follow me know that I love ranting. Yeah, so self-taught. And what actually I think what helped me as like a preliminary getting into vocals and layering was I started doing it with music first. So I downloaded, um, I first used this this program called Reason that was free before getting Cubase. And I had a MIDI keyboard. So I would record like a little piano riff, like usually an arpeggio or something. And I'd be like, okay, let's add strings. Now let's add a, a moving violin and let's add a bass. And like, I had no idea what I was doing, but I've listened to a lot of soundtracks and video game music in my life. That's like, that's basically what they're doing. They take a recurring theme and they just build and build and then change it up. So it's like I got into like layering first from an instrument standpoint so that when it came time to do it with vocals, I think I was already like, I had some experience in it. So it wasn't that hard to do. And I'd say at the end of the day, just like trust your ear. If it sounds off, don't try to justify it. You know, if it doesn't sound good, there's probably a reason it doesn't sound good. Yeah. I think the tabs thing, the like, like the give a man a fish, teach a man to fish thing. Yeah. Tabs are just giving him a fish. <laughs> it's like, okay, here's where you put your fingers to play this song the way that it was recorded. But if you want to write, that doesn't really help you almost at all because to, to a certain extent, because you're learning patterns on the instrument and on guitar patterns or everything because you can just slide them around and get the same sound in a different key. But like if you don't have at least some system of naming them or, or keeping track of them or something, then you haven't learned how to make more music from that. Tabs are cool. Like... I was a guitar teacher for like 10 years, and if there if tabs didn't exist, I'd, uh, I wouldn't really have had a job. <laughs> but even just what you're describing, this sort of like primordial, like beeps and boops and reason and, and just like stacking stuff based entirely on what you think sounds good is incredibly important, I think. The sandbox, the sandbox part of writing music. Yeah, you got to play. You got to learn how to play. Yes. Then there's that next step of like, that a lot of people don't take. A lot of people get amazing at their instrument, learn how to play tons and tons of covers, or they join a band where they can, you know, somebody else is doing most of the writing. And I think a lot of people, who, music listeners, assume that that's the same skill set because they're like, oh, you're an amazing guitarist or whatever, but they can't write to save their lives. It's just a completely different part of your brain almost, or a different subsection of the musical part of your brain. It is. I don't think you can necessarily teach creativity i think a person has to be creative to begin with but i think you can expand that i think if you have that natural inclination and you teach yourself some stuff you don't have to go to school but you need to like have an open mind to be like okay what what exactly am i doing here let's let's try and 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 figure it out let not just like be like yeah i'm winging it every single time i think you can take your creativity to to a whole other level but I've definitely met a lot of musicians that are like exceptional and like great guitar players, great drummers, great singers, and they can't write for shit. And it's okay. Not everyone has to be a writer. Like I know some people that that do music for the live 
performance aspect. Like all they care about is going on stage and rocking that guitar. Not everyone has to be a songwriter. So that's fine. But if if you do, and if you love writing songs, I don't see why you wouldn't want to take that next step step and you know, learn some more. It's it's definitely not going to kill your creativity. It's just going to help you, you know, transcend and get better at what you do. Yeah, that's that's how I look at it, too. I think there's this idea, this like very polarized idea of like either you're going to just be self-taught and learn completely by ear and like fuck music theory or you're going to go to a conservatory and read everything off a page, like learn how to sight read and like i don't think it's like that at all i think there's a very there's a huge gray area in between you can learn a lot of things that that are useful from the sort of formal education music theory ear training that kind of stuff and the end result of that isn't that you're going to be in a in a tuxedo playing like concertos or anything like that it's yeah. i don't know i guess it's weird to me the attitude of a lot of rock musicians who yeah you could just learn stuff and it's it doesn't hurt it doesn't hurt not going to hurt you <laughs> Oh, for sure. Because the reality of life is that it's not black or white in anything in life, right? It's very gray. Except for a tuxedo. Yes. That would be awesome, by the way. <laughs> life is gray, you know? You got you to take bits and pieces that make sense to you from wherever you can and just put it all together. Yeah. It's always cool to hear like people's philosophy on that, especially when what you're doing comes out so awesome you know what i mean like if you got if you were like yeah i never really learned anything whatever and then your music sucked i'd be like cool <laughs> i'm gonna go i'm gonna go get another music degree so that we could be <laughs> but as you've demonstrated on this ep especially like using this approach this sort of blended approach of of thinking of it like you were saying chord tones and like stacking these choirs like knowing like oh this is the fifth Maybe I don't need another fifth in this part or whatever, like like a little bit of the theory and formal harmony aspect of it, but also just using your your ear to guide you and then applying a similar approach to the the way that you've arranged and and write this all the parts of the songs. It's obviously working great. Thanks. Because <laughs> you trust yourself. Yeah. I mean, well, thank you, first of all. I feel like, first and foremost, we write music because we want to write music, and it's for us. Like, we do it for ourselves, first and foremost, and then for everyone else. And I think if you're not progressing, and if you're not making these, like, taking ch ch chances and, like, experimenting and, like, trying to grow as an artist, then I feel like songwriting itself would become tedious and boring, so... I think we as music musicians, we have to do that anyways. And it's it's even better when other people in the world end up liking what we do too. <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious about how much influence anyone outside of the band has, specifically the producer in any at any given moment. Like at what point in the process do you bring in other outside opinions and how often do you actually listen to them or you're like eh, you're gonna leave it as it is so specifically for this ep and then how has it compared to doing it in the past i'd say that there's very minimal asking other people what they think about the creation process anyways for sure when we're done ish when we're done the the demos or actually when we're done the album we might even like we bounced this off of people that we know to see what their reaction would be about the tunes. But in terms of, like Vicky mentioned, that one part in Remnants that Chris Donaldson basically wrote. But otherwise, 
I think we're pretty much like, I don't think we really ask for other opinions until things are basically done, right? From other people. Yeah. And it, and it took seven albums and how many years of knowing Chris Donaldson for him to write a riff? Because he's like, he's also like a super nice guy. And I keep telling because he has a great ear too. Well, he's he, he has a formal education, right, Simon? He He's gone to music school and all that. So um, he's an excellent musician and... I feel like he's just so goddamn nice. Like he could just step in and tell bands, you know what? This part sucks. Do this. It'll be better, you know? And he just doesn't because he doesn't want to impose. He thinks his job is just like, I'm just going to mix this to sound good. But like, I would very much be open to like his criticism on something, you know, as, as an artist, especially like the stuff that I don't know, you know, that he knows more about. But I think outside of Chris, we don't really have anyone else that could just step in and be like, eh, you, you could do this better or do that better. Like, all of our friends are just music lovers, you know? We don't really share our tunes before they're released with, with people that aren't our friends, you know? So, yeah. I would say that my fiancé is a, not unwilling, but unwitting outside opinion as she incessantly hears whatever demo we're doing over and over and over and over. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> the only person who will ever hate your music more than you do by the time it's done, like, <laughs> everybody goes through that, you know, as you're, you write something, you're excited about it. You hear it a hundred times as you're working on it. By the time it's you, you're listening to the tenth master revision, you just wish you'd been a dentist or whatever. <laughs> but that's you, and you have to love it. The people who live with you have no such like inclination. They're like, "All right, yeah, maybe you get your own room for doing this stuff." Yeah, that's enough, and we soundproof it. But I, I have to say though, I'm I, I don't I've met very few people like this that I'm weird. I guess in the sense that I listen to my band's music like i'll listen to it from the demo stage even after we release the album i still listen to the ep i just did yesterday i listen i just i don't know maybe it's because i'm an arrogant idiot no i'm just kidding no it's because i just love my own stuff i mean how can you gotta love your own stuff if you can't listen to your own stuff over and over and over again you should do something else i mean it's my opinion you should love what you do and like i love listening to our own stuff Man, my Spotify numbers came up the other day. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> You're like, I can't share these. I'm going to look like such a narcissist. <laughs> exactly. That's the word I was looking for. Narcissist. Yeah. Not arrogant. <laughs> narcissist. Yeah. But I don't care, man. It's, it's, I don't think that's narcissistic I get at all. You know what? I write the music that I want to hear in the world. Yeah, so totally. I'm happy to listen to my own music. Like, it makes me, it gives me a good feeling inside. It gives me a little buzz. Like, yeah, man, like, we did this awesome music. Like, this is so amazing. Now I'm ready to, like, go about my life, you know? And I'm just reminded of how awesome this music is that i had a part in you know i i agree i i my my only thing is like i wish we could hear the final product like the rest of the world does unfortunately we never can and i just wish there was like the thing in men in black where it's like we can choose to erase those particular memories just for a second just to hear the song in its final form but then bring them back bring the memories back because I don't want to forget the songwriting process, obviously. And we'll never have that as musicians. But at the end of the day, you know, I listen to our music too. Maybe not as much as like the demo phases, but I do listen to the final final product 
too after it's out. And I think it also helps from a performance standpoint. Because, like, if you hear it enough, at least, like, from a vocal perspective, if I hear my vocals as they are on the CD enough times, it's easier for me to replicate it afterwards. Because, like, singing is just that, replicating what you hear. So if you hear it enough times, you should have an easier time doing it. Cool. Yeah. I personally usually have to get past the, like, a, a few weeks out at least from the final version until I'm, like, ready to go back and, and listen to it again. But, yeah, it's if you can't listen to your own stuff, you, I, you probably usually can't expect anybody else to want to listen to it, too, I guess. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I've met people who just never just don't listen to their own stuff ever for whatever reason some people can't do that but they'll still go out and play it and be in a band but i mean a lot of people are doing music just to like get something done it's like okay i'm gonna play an instrument on this song and it's like they don't have that personal attachment to it but if you're making like music from your original project that you you know probably should have a personal attachment to then i think that's rather normal right but i think it's also very normal for people to just be like yeah i come in i did session on this song whenever they're not going to go and listen to it a bunch but if it's something you feel really strongly about and it's your own original music well you should probably be able to listen to it over and over again and not get tired of it definitely and and i know i get like all giddy when when i'm asked about like specific things like if someone's like really dissects a song and they're like this this particular vocal part or this particular lyric i'm like oh shit you noticed that that's so awesome like i'm crying on the inside that that someone noticed this like minor detail or something that i put there you know it's like you feel proud in a sense is there sort of in a, in a similar vein is there anything that you've done in the past on past albums that you specifically did not do on this one something that you maybe got sick of hearing like maybe you thought that you've done it too many times or whatever that you were like ah we're not gonna do that this time around i don't think we per se like made a list of things not to do maybe unintentionally some some things happen like that where you're like okay like Maybe if you're a band that always like has an intro before every song, then you're going to be like, okay, no more intros, you know, but like, to be honest with you, I can't think of any particular thing that we decided, okay, we're, we're not going to do like that particular thing. It's kind of a strange thing. We don't have a ballad on the CP, I guess. Right. But it wasn't like exactly intentional. It was no. more functional of a decision. Yeah. I think it's like you said, there's, there's probably a lot of stuff that we, first of all, it's five songs, not 10 you know, so half an album. But I think, yeah, I don't think we, we sat down, you know, collectively and said, this, never doing again. This sucks. Never mind. I think it was just organic. And there's some things that we didn't do uh, simply because it either just didn't fit the theme or it didn't, we didn't naturally feel like doing it, I guess. But there wasn't anything specifically, you know, like predetermined. Like, I know I can think of like more back in the day. I recall being like, okay, like, we like from the beginning when I first joined the band, I'm like, okay, we have to be careful with breakdowns, right? Because breakdowns in metal was, especially back then in the early 2000s, like a thing. Like everyone's doing breakdowns. A song starts with, with with a breakdown, and like, not saying we had a bunch, but we were like, let's like be careful. And like by now, I just was thinking about this the other day. I don't really think there is a in the metal sense of the word like a breakdown on days before the world web like there is a chunky there's chunky syncopated riffs 
But I think that whole like idea of like one, two, three, four, China, like that's just like not there. Any any kind of the halftime China that means it's time to die. Like that influence of that is there, but it's not like in an obvious way. Like there's halftime China riffs where I'm playing syncopated with the guitar, but it's not necessarily a breakdown. It's like a part of the song. So that's just one thing that I think happened like a long time ago. Where like if it's going to be a breakdown, it's going to have to be like a melodic breakdown or like not a, like a typical breakdown that everyone is used to hearing. But we definitely did not even think about that. No, I don't know. I think our music is just like naturally like, what is the rest of the metal world doing? What's trending right now? Let's do the opposite. Let's like, <laughs> let's shoot ourselves in the foot forever underground, whatever, <laughs> as long as we love it. <laughs> Is there anything uh, that you did on this one that you've never done before? Well, I played piano, <laughs> like thinking about it. That's not true because I did I did write piano on previous stuff. I never played it, though. So I actually played piano um, on this one. I don't know about you, Simon, drums. I'm trying to think vocally. Um, I don't know. No, I, I can't think of anything. I, I was going to think of, I was going to say the piano right away. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I don't think there's anything new. I just think um, I think the mindset was probably a bit more fresh on this release. We were just like, you know, let's let's just do what we want to do. Just write some good music. There weren't any barriers. There wasn't any like, I think we should do this and like predetermined things. We just wrote what felt right. I think from a vocal perspective, I didn't do anything that I haven't done before. But I think I was... I, I opened up the spectrum a little bit more in terms of dynamics. Um, one issue I think I felt I had when I first joined this band that I felt that the vocals always had to match the energy of the music. So every time I would sing, I would I would go for like pushed chest voice rasp. You know, I would not not always like on ten, but like the dynamics would be like above a six always. Um, Whereas here I was like, you know what? Let's just add a one. Let's add a very soft singing part. Who cares that there's a blast beat going on right now? Just embrace that like contrast, I guess. So I think I just let myself go a little bit more and just did what I felt like doing without thinking too much. <laughs> That's actually a great answer to the question that he asked. It just through talking about it, you came up with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's... That's exactly what I'm looking for. I, I think that a lot of the time you don't consciously change things in a certain way, you know, you, but over the course of doing a lot of albums a certain way, it's just naturally kind of happens. You know, you write five songs for the EP. You go like, well, I'm not going to write this song again. It's time to write something new. So, of course, something's going to be new. <laughs> that makes makes sense. But you're, I, I guess the... Um, the main gist that I'm getting is that you guys do things very intuitively. There's not a there's not a lot of um, charts and graphs and. I would say that's correct. Yeah. What are they called? Uh, uh, spreadsheets, <laughs> <laughs> or anything like that, which actually kind of seems absurd in a certain sense because the music is crazy, <laughs> very technical, intense. I would say that of your music that I've uh, listened to before, it this EP seems a bit 
almost proggier, like in certain spots, there's a lot more, like it, it always feels very cohesive, but there's a, uh, there's a lot of crazy changes and stuff that are happening and all of that. So to the, I don't know, uh, to the uneducated average music listener, they might be like, these guys must be on some fucking math shit. There's, they must have, right? there's some Fibonacci sequence in here. <laughs> they, they must write this on an abacus, um, abacus, I guess. Abacus, abacus. <laughs> nope. <laughs> You're just feeling it out. I think the 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 origin of songwriting should be feeling it out. That first stage. You just got to let yourself go and, and write what feels good. And then you can start thinking after the groundwork is laid out. Like, you know, my, my first vocal melody that I'm going to sing over a song is feeling it out. And maybe I'll change one note here maybe i'll change one note there because it's like oh this clashes a little bit with the music but i don't start thinking until the idea is on on there on cubase recorded and then i'm like okay let's see if this actually makes sense you know proof of concept you get it out of your brain like you think that this is gonna work and you just you're like it feels good at the moment at the time and then you, when you hit play, then your analytical brain k- kind of kicks in and you... Exactly. That didn't work at all. <laughs> Sometimes, yes. <laughs> okay. That's good. That's, um, that's, that's good to know. Um, that's good. Uh, you're, you're, I don't know. I personally, I, I overthink everything all the time. Um, so I love hearing from people who don't <laughs> <laughs> just, you're like, great trade. Now I'm going to go and overthink everything as I'm writing it. I used to enjoy it, and now it's ruined. <laughs> so you've got some orchestration stuff on here too, right? Or am I hearing? Or it's just those are just choirs. I guess I thought uh, I was hearing some orchestration and stuff on there, but it's it's all just your voice then. Probably what like the 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 wannabe male choir voices you're probably hearing. You're like that can't be Vicky. It must be an instrument. <laughs> Maybe I just assumed that because I'm hearing a lot of layers of stuff that there's also some orchestration in there but you're the orchestra orchestra of vicky she is the orchestra yeah i am the orchestra yeah you're not the first by the way like i saw a few people say like choirs and strings and keyboards and i'm like no the only keyboard on there is the the piano uh but i think i think it's just like like you said because sometimes those things go hand in hand right what band writes choirs without writing writing orchestras as well but i think and, and i've answered this like before like um why sit there and do it with my own voice and not just, you know, get a plug-in? And I think it's because, like, at the end of the day, I want to make an original product that someone else can't replicate. It's like like making chocolate chip cookies from scratch versus buying the 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 cookie dough and just baking it, you know? Like, anyone can do this. Anyone can download East-West uh, Gold Edition symphonic orchestras and put those notes... And then our choirs will sound like the rest of the world. But no one else on the planet has my exact voice with that exact color and tone and all that. So it's like I'm creating something literally that no one else can ever create. And I think you can, I guess, relate to this like from a guitar tone perspective. Because I know guitar nerds are all about the tone. It's the tone, right? So like how awesome is it when you create a tone from scratch, like doing whatever you're doing versus, oh, just downloading this this pack that so-and-so created, you know? A hundred percent. It's definitely not easier to do, but easier to have a unique 
singing voice than a guitar tone just because or at least in modern metal yeah these days like i don't even for a final product i send di's to my producer and i don't ask any questions (laughs) which is not a good way to get go about getting a unique tone necessarily but I think the reason that probably that most people will record with like composer cloud uh, choirs and and all that stuff is just because they can't sing. Yeah. Or can't sing that many parts that broadly. Like I can sing, but I can't sing the soprano part. (laughs) I can't, you know, uh, or whatever. And that makes a certain amount of sense. But you're a singer, of course you should do it. <laughs> you know, you're going to um, take the Hanzi approach, you know, Blind Guardian. Like, he will just layer hundreds of himself. And so you'll always, you can hear the Blind Guardian choir of choir of Hanzis, and you just know that it's Blind Guardian. Even if, like, even if you deleted uh, the lead vocal Hanzi and inserted somebody else, you'd be like, is that a choir of Hanzis? I think it is. So a choir of Vickies is an instant... Being like it's tr- it's a trademarked sound. You've got it. Nobody else could do that with. I mean, I would love to have a plugin of Vicky's. <laughs> you should. That's you should for sure do that. Can you imagine the hours of work that would take? All the different vowels and oh my goodness. I don't know how people do it. I really don't know. I mean, that's how they do it for for sample libraries. But Jesus, yeah, it's insane. <laughs> but hey, you never know. Like could be could sell a billion of them. I will be your first customer. <laughs> awesome. For the Vicky plugin. <laughs> Sign me up. Okay, here's a, a general one about that kind of relates to the thing that you were saying, like about people going, pointing out some specific little thing that you did that you really, you know, you placed it there with such intention, a little Easter egg. And, and they were like, oh, this one thing you did. And you're just like, yes, yes, you understand me. <laughs> Do you feel like in general, people are picking up what you're putting down? For all of the things that you're doing on this, the the vocals, the 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 music, the lyrics, the everything, do you think that they're really getting it? Do you think you did a good job? Uh, did a good job getting it across to the people? I think we did a pretty good job, at least like with the two songs that we put out music videos for. I think the visuals help. The when you have a storyline, it's kind of like you're spoon feeding the lyrics to the people and the story and all that. Because let's be honest, you know, not a lot of people take the time to fully dissect a song. It's really just like, what's in the forefront? That captures my attention and that's it. But when you, you're able to like really dive into the visuals and show people like that one line that's happening in the song in a visual form, then they'll, they'll catch it much easier for sure. So I think we did a good job in that. But then I think our music itself, it's like so complex that you do need to sit down with it and have a lot of listens to to fully understand everything that's going on. Like one of our friends listened to to the EP many times and he's not really like a huge fan like of extreme, extreme music. And like he likes his catchy choruses, you know, pop songs. So (laughs) he was like, I just wish he's like, it's an EP, you know, it's a concept, right? He's like, I wish at the end of the last song you brought back that like, choir from remnants in time so like it goes full circle and i'm like dude that doesn't make any sense they're like two completely different songs different vibes the choir makes no sense and i'm like it does go full circle because the very last thing that i sing on days before the world wept is as a remnant lost in time 
it goes full circle. <laughs> Just not in the way you thought, you know? He's thinking thematically, at least. Yeah. He's looking for that uh, thematic repetition, which was actually there, but he just didn't just didn't pick up on it. Sometimes you got to really beat him over the head with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then he just like, look, he looked at me. He's like, oh, guess you're right then. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think one of the best parts of like making an album and having people hear it nowadays and, you know, when you're just finished releasing it is reaction channels on YouTube, right? So this is like a great way to see if people reacted the way you intended them to react and like the comments. And so just based on the reaction videos that I've seen and just that alone, not even asking, you know, people that I know, just based off that, I say we did a pretty dang good job. And it's always great to hear the because, you know, you'll have one video that will say, well, they really did this and that. And I would really like to see more of this and more of that. And then this is going to guide you in what you're going to do next. And you might not even like realize it. So because you want people, every artist wants people to react to their art and like be immersed in their art. And like reaction videos are friggin awesome for that because it's like. Like, for example, in Remnants in Time, there's like this rate, uh, the first bridge, basically the part that Donaldson wrote that you mentioned originally when we first started writing the song, that part was like slow. It was like Danny was like, yeah, we need to like slow it down, like groove. Here's people can headbang. And I was like, hmm, yeah, OK, I see what you mean. But no, I just want to like keep on keep the party going. And it was like, eh, not sure finally it happened and like and then you see people that are like headbanging and then like what oh and then they're headbanging a completely different way but they friggin' love it because it's like it shook them around <laughs> and like like you're in a washing machine tumbling around like yeah man like and the only way i was able to know that is through like reaction videos on youtube so these things are awesome for knowing if you achieve that or not and it's really cool too to see like the reaction videos that are a little more analytical it's not just like oh i like this i didn't like this you know it's really cool to see what someone has to say after just one listen. Because like I said, our, our music is a bit complicated. And I think the more listens you have, the more you'll notice. So it was really cool to see a few that were able to like catch something at the very beginning on the very first like listen. I'm like, wow, that's that's awesome. And uh, another thing that I, I really loved, uh, I think we, we talked about it, Simon, too, that like a lot of uh, reaction channels when the song ended and the piano's just kind of on its own, they were just like, like not saying in anything, just like Stunned. staring. And I was like, I was like, good. No one talks yes. over the piano. <laughs> <laughs> and then you talk over the bass solo. Oh, oh. And then there was the odd channel of like, oh, this piano. Well, I'm gonna stop you. So blah blah blah. Like, no, dude, no, no. You 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 didn't finish the friggin' song. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I never really thought about reaction videos as like sort of from the creator's perspective, but that's really true. I want to see somebody react to my music. So far, I don't think anybody's ever done that. And I always think it's funny that anyone watches reaction videos at all. Like I've done plenty of them at this point. I don't really understand why people like them. I understand why you would like to see somebody doing it for your react to what you're right. doing because you need that feedback. Actually, it's one of my goals in life to get. Do you know that guy, Hardcore Keem? <laughs> I love Keem. 
He's so funny. Holy shit. One of my goals in life is to write something that makes him go for the dummy. Like, fucking, I lose my shit every time. He's like, ah, just runs off and takes a swing at the dummy. Oh, my God. I think you just have to give him three breakdowns in a row, and then I I think (laughs) he'll do it. Yeah. But I guess if I like watching him, then I understand why people like to watch reactions. But Yeah, it's the person. You're connecting with the person doing the reaction. I don't do reaction videos myself, but I stream on Twitch, so pro streamer. I have a button for that. <laughs> I can relate because it's the same exact philosophy. Everyone thinks that like, oh, reaction videos are hot. Streaming is hot. I'll do it too. And then they start doing it and then they're like, oh, why aren't people watching me? What's wrong? It's not the content. It's the person behind the content. And a lot of those like top reaction channels right now, it's people are watching them because the person that's doing the reaction has is offering something, whether it's entertainment, laughs, um, education, like, like Tank the Tech is very informative in his reaction videos, for example, and, and people love that because they learn a lot from it. So it's the person. It's it's not the reaction itself. I think this brings up a a pretty cool idea of like like why is it that we make music? Why do we write songs and go to all this trouble to put in this work? Like you were talking about, like you're like why would I spend two hours on something when I could do it in two minutes and just not be a perfectionist about it? And a very strong part of it is getting reactions out of people. Not just reactions, not just like, ah, but like emotional, visceral reactions from people and being able to share in that, like getting, finding people that like what you like too. That's part of what I do it for. I'm curious if you guys have a, any other reasons that you like to write anything else about any other aspect of it that really gets you. I think it's pretty much everyone has that, right? Everyone wants to write for someone else to hear it and feel whatever you want them to feel, you know, but I mean, personally, like I love writing. It's like therapeutic for me, but it's, you know, cause number one, if it feels good to create something, but there's always that afterthought in my head of writing something. And I'm, I'm sure Danny is the same way in a certain extent to a certain extent that like someone's going to hear this and it's going to elevate them. And like that feeling I think is always there. Right. So like, unless you're writing like super underground black metal and you don't want anyone to hear it ever. Cause that's cool. There's like 10 people <laughs> that listen to it. Yeah. And that's like awesome too. <laughs> but like, you know, I think it's just that feeling for me, it's like, it's therapeutic to first of all, create something that I can go back and listen to and say, Hey, I did that. That's cool. I'm cool. <laughs> I'm doing something. I feel good. But also you can't wait until someone else is going to hear it and like feel something. And then that's, that's simply it really. It doesn't really go beyond that, does it? But it's so complicated in that simple little, like people could feel so many things. People could be hearing that somewhere and that could influence their life. Like so much can happen from you making that piece of music and like all personally just just me talking I'll, I'll always take it back to when i was a teenager listening to you know my disc man with my headphones like blasting at 10 volume like 
walking everywhere and just like imagining like images of like these people on stage and like just like metal and like, yeah and like corn and Marilyn Manson and just like this is me this is who I am and like building my entire identity out there and I just I pray to God there's someone else out there that's doing that with our music for me that's what it's all about like literally it doesn't get any better than that then of course you got go and get to play shows potentially see that you know happening in front of you and that's amazing too but i mean hopefully people are gonna are gonna are gonna just like grow from grow themselves from the music that you made i mean that would that's the ultimate goal i think it's absolutely insane to think that you could inspire and influence someone to to get into music you know like i heard this song or i heard your voice and i wanted to do it myself yeah i think that that's like mind-blowing but i mean if i'm gonna be like 1000 percent honest when i first started music that wasn't even in the equation you know like 15 year old me wasn't like i want to influence the next generation like that that's so far-fetched that i didn't even consider that you know I think I would say that it is a little bit more selfish in the beginning. It is a little bit more, I'm doing this, I'm writing music because I just, I can't imagine myself doing anything else. I wrote my first song on piano, going back to like the the reason, actually it was Guitar Pro then. I didn't even have a MIDI keyboard. It was just like a, you know, $150 Yamaha, you know, keyboard with four octaves or something. But so I, I wrote my first song when I was, um, as most people, going through a difficult phase in my life. And I literally hadn't eaten in two days. Like my hair started falling out when I was brushing it. I couldn't eat food for two days. And I wrote my first song on the keyboard, which I then transcribed to Guitar Pro with like a mouse. Like something you can do now in 10 minutes took me two days. And when the song was complete, I like transformed to a different person. Suddenly I felt good again. I felt like, wait, why was I? I mean, yeah, I was really upset. What happened was really bad, but I felt like like it was therapeutic. Like it, it, I was like, if this didn't happen, then I wouldn't have written my first song and then I wouldn't be where I am today. So, um, yeah, <laughs> got a little dark. That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> got a little dark there for a second, but I think... For a lot of people, that's how it begins. At the end of the day, even if you are in a professional touring band and you're writing songs for people to listen to, I think you have to remember that that's where it came from. That's how it began and like the reason why you started writing. And that's why I encourage everyone to write music. Like it doesn't have to be, you don't have to become this like exceptional songwriter that's doing worldwide tours and selling out shows and and platinum records it's like you do it for yourself first and foremost so yeah (laughs) i love hearing that for a number of reasons but also because i see you really living it um from from everything you've described in here you guys you're not bringing in outside songwriters or like you know having a producer write everything for you which i think is like can be fine or whatever like some people do it but you're you guys are just writing the music that you want to write and fuck what anybody else thinks you're you know you're still putting it out for the world uh but you're just writing it for yourselves for other people also like there's it's got you're your primary audience and then you're 
also recording it so that you can do it for a living and not <laughs> just play it for yourselves for funsies. Um, and yeah, and I, so there's a therapeutic aspect to it, of course, as well. You're you write it and you're you feel something. You feel better. You get get it out there for the world to hear or like outside of your you take it outside of your brain and make it real. And I, that's the part of it that I love too, more than probably more than any other part of it, I think. And I love, I love hearing a pro say that you don't have to become fucking Beethoven or, you know, Joni Mitchell or something like. You can just write songs because it's fun and great, and nobody ever has to hear them even. So I appreciate that <laughs> a lot. Here's a good one. I think this. I think it's probably a good a good spot for us to uh, to drop the final question. And I'm thinking about making this a re- like a the always the final question for the podcast. So you're you're the guinea pigs here. This might be this might wind up being a very big long one. But what do you think is the greatest song ever written, and why? doesn't have to be a dissertation on why just a, just a, like the most important thing for you the part for you that really i probably should have given you this one in advance <laughs> yeah dude yeah but don't overthink it you just have to pick the single greatest song of all time and if you get it wrong you're fired don't overthink it <laughs> dude i have but i had it. i mean something came to mind right away but i it just like the pressure of society Makes me not want to say it. <laughs> the pressure of music stores all across the world. Oh no, it's Stairway, isn't it? Say it. It's not the greatest song ever written of all time, but the greatest song for me in my journey was Stairway to Heaven because when I learned how to play the chord shapes in Stairway to Heaven, the world of guitar and music opened up because that song is like the ABCs of guitar, right? I don't need to say that to you. I'm sure you can play it backwards, but like, okay, fine. But anyways, that's probably the crazy. It's like, it's got all the elements of a <laughs> tabs, please. I can learn it. Got all the elements of a perfect song, right? You have the cool chord shapes. It's hard. It's not an easy song to play. You know, and then you have like, you have, it, it's, it's a ballad. It gets heavy. There's melody. I mean, again, not the best song ever wrote, but it's probably one of the better ones that people ever learned. Yeah. I think everyone that's going to answer this question from now on is going to is going to emphasize that they're going to be like, no, this this isn't the greatest song ever written. It's just my song, the thing that I think of when you ask me this. We got to make sure we put that disclaimer there. You know, <laughs> maybe I should word it. What do you think is the greatest song ever written? Because yeah, like my ego wants to say like Emperor song is like or whatever like the crazy metal song is the best song, but that's not the best song ever wrote. Come on. Come on, let's let's be real here. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's a flawed concept to begin with, you know. But this is where I think the importance of your own life and experiences and the order have a big part. Because when you ask, I hate being asked, like, what are your favorite artists? What are your favorite albums? I hate it because it's so hard because it's the only, literally the only albums I can think of and the only artists are the things that I listened to before the age of 18. Are they my favorite? Probably not. There's probably stuff I heard later on that's better and that's that's closer to my musical tastes right now, but they're just so influential that 
that's what you're always going to remember. And like, as you ask that question, a song popped in my head too. But it's it's even funnier because I'm a vocalist and this song doesn't have vocals on it. I think just spit it out. It's okay if it, like, I won't tell anyone. Well, it's fine. <laughs> pe- people know. The hundreds and thousands of people who will hopefully watch and yeah. listen to this will know. <laughs> Only them and all the news outlets that report. No, go ahead. I'm a nerd. Uh, whatever. The first moment in time that I can remember music like grabbing me and being like crying over it was when I played games and the most important game in my life is Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> Everyone knows this about me. Everyone knows. But uh, yeah, so like the, the single greatest song that m- made me feel something was uh, Aerith, Aerith's theme when, uh, I guess, spoiler alert that she dies in the game, but everyone should know this by now. I was bawling. I was crying my eyes out for, like, weeks. I was 10 years old. And <laughs> it's the theme song. I mean, it's the thing, the, 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 the scene itself, but it's the theme song. It's, it's just so connected with the visuals and the storyline and the notes, and I'm, I'm tearing up talking about it. <laughs> Imagine, imagine Vicky's parents trying to understand why, why, who is the, who, er, er, where is she? <laughs> she died, mom. Where is she? She's dead. <laughs> In the game? Yeah. And she's like, no, you got to hear the song. And the song is like, eight bit. And your parents are like. Oh, Jesus Christ. The child is mad. This was PlayStation, so we had some quality it was, here. It was, yeah. Some, it was like one yeah. step above. But if you've never heard the song, I would, everyone, do yourself a favor. Go listen to it. Don't look at screens. Don't don't look at it. Just close your eyes. Listen to it. There are better versions. There's like orchestral piano-like versions now of it with better quality. But yeah, I, I say it's so funny that I would choose that because like I'm all about like vocals and lyrics and music and telling a story and it's just like well this one didn't need that because it was on a game and it had the visuals yeah i think that that's the the reason i started writing music on a piano and like trying to like layer instruments and stuff like that because that's like what video game music is and um yeah it's just the moment the moment i heard it in my life if i played this game when i was like 20 or 30 maybe it wouldn't have that impact but i was 10 and this character is portrayed as like the most innocent, sweetest person and kind, warm-hearted person. And then she just gets brutally murdered like halfway into the game. That's cruel reality right there. That's a life lesson telling me, you know what? Life isn't fair. You could be the best person. You do all the best things in life. You still might die young. You still might get screwed over. That, that was a life lesson there. So... <laughs> that part in the game was arguably more important than school at the time. Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> I, I, I more learned... developing. Yes. I wouldn't be who I am today without that. You know. So. Because another spoiler alert. What she ends up doing. What like she dies. But like what she ended up doing right before she died. Saved the entire world. So that was another life lesson for me being like. You know what? Yeah, okay. You might die. But still. Be a good person, be a good human being, be kind, influence people. You might die, but you might change someone's life in the meanwhile. So I think I, I wouldn't, maybe I'd still be a good person, but you know, don't be a dick. Be good, be kind, be nice. It's not hard. <laughs> life lessons from Final <laughs> Fantasy Seven. Yes. <laughs> Everything I need to know about morality, I learned from Final Fantasy Seven. 
<laughs> it's a very influential game. I've, I, I, I've heard a lot of the music from that. I never played it. I was kind of a Nintendo kid. I don't know if it wound up on that. I was like that kid who had a Nintendo and two games for it. And one of them was Battletoads uh, in Battle Maniacs, which, so really what I played was the first three levels of one game. Because nobody's ever gotten past that fucking <laughs> rocket level. Nobody. Anyway, I think it's interesting that when I asked this question, you both picked songs that were just very influential for you, ones that um, hit you very early on that um, sort of, they're, they're almost your uh, rosebud songs, you know, like that kind of like that thing that you're chasing forever now. So maybe I should modify the question. Thank you for being my guinea pigs <laughs> for that question, by the way. Our pleasure. I learned, I learned a lot, not just about from your answers, but also from how you <laughs> answered it, how I should get, maybe go about this from here out. Maybe I'll ask, what's the most influential song of all time for you? No, I think it's a great question. Yeah. I think it's going to make That's a lot of people feel uncomfortable because there's going to be one song that pops in their head and maybe someone will be like, oh, no, I can't say that. Fuck, now what am I going to say? <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna be like, if you wanna be my lover, oh. <laughs> holy shit! I was just gonna make no. that joke. I was just gonna no, make that fucking dude. joke. dude. I couldn't remember the name of the song, dude. <laughs> what is what's the actual name of that song? It's is it if you wanna be? Wanna, it's wanna be right. Spice. I was gonna. I was gonna wow. make a Spice Girls joke. hundred percent. Simpatico. That we. I like that we both picked the the one that would be the most embarrassing. <laughs> We're probably about the same age then. I was going to ask, how old are you? I'm 37. You're 37, 35. Okay, so yeah, there you go. Yep, yep. Wild. A lot of a lot of people watching this are like, what? What, what, what are you talking about? What song is that? What are you talking about? <laughs> is that Justin Bieber or what? That's fucking hilarious. Anyway. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> well, I um, I love this. I love talking about this shit just like this. I um, very excited to go back and and after hearing you talk about all this stuff go back and listen to the ep again with all of this in mind and get a hopefully get even more of a sense of what you were going for and and enjoy it on a on a whole other level as i think all of you watch hello out there in tv land should do the same because it's it's it is just really great even without all of this fun extra information about how you went about doing it so thank you so much for taking the time on a monday to hang out with your boy and uh, and talk about this stuff. Congratulations on putting out this awesome thing, this crazy good EP. <laughs> You're and great, and uh, that's all I have to say about that. Outros are the worst. I hate it too. The worst. It's the worst. I, I'm on Twitch, like I, at the end of the night, and I'm just like, okay, goodbye, everyone. Thank you so much, and uh, yeah, have a good week, and uh, I love you and, and uh, thank you and <laughs> have a good weekend. Just like the repeat. So I, I get it. I get it. <laughs> what do you want to push for the world? Now? What's the next thing that the agonist you want people to know about? Any things coming up on the docket? I mean, we're standby for tours, so I don't want to get anyone excited because I'm, I'm trying myself not to get too excited just in case, you know, everything gets canceled again. But do we have anything else, Simon? It's really these potentially awesome tours, you know, potentially awesome. That are potentially nothing. Yeah, we're really just standby. Like we started filming a music video too last time I was there in December and we only got like half of the music video done. So I can't even tell you guys when the rest will be filmed to be released. So 
it's really just those two things. When can we finish the video and when can we go on tour? Rough. But there's there's a whole back catalog of music for the agonist. Awesome music videos from this EP you've put out too, at least. Um, highly recommend you guys go check those out. They're super fun to watch. And um, great, guys. Thank you so much. And hopefully get to talk to you again real soon. All right? Absolutely. Always a pleasure. Anytime, bud. Thanks, guys. All right. I should probably find a, a fun new way to end these with a little bit less weirdness than that. Um, but, you know, it's just real. All right. We're just doing it. We're doing it live. We're doing it live, guys. So that was super fun. Check out The Agonist Days Before the World Wept. It's really super sick. I enjoyed listening to it a lot, uh, binging it over this past week. So thanks for watching, guys. Be sure to check out my brand new songwriting course. There's a link in the description below. Complete rock and metal songwriting if you're interested in learning more about how I go about writing songs. Um, talk a lot about the philosophy kinds of stuff like I did here today with, with these guys. We do this every Monday, 11 a.m. PST. I don't have a guest to announce for a week from today just yet, but I've got a couple in the works, and they're all super great. So stream on Friday for if you guys want to get your songs critiqued by me, if you want me to listen to them and let you know what it is that I think that they need. I do a live stream every Friday starting at 1 p.m. PST. I know a lot of you guys in the chat, all um, are, a lot of you are there very often. Uh, and of course, Vicky streams on, on Twitch pretty often also. If you see the video that we did together, she recorded all of her vocals, I think, for the song that we did live on Twitch. Also, she's hilarious and does funny voices. Definitely check that out. And a couple of new videos coming out this week. So, you know, we've talked about pre-production a ton. Somebody pointed out in the, um, in the chat earlier that uh, kind of a, a recurring theme has been pre-pro on this stream. So I decided to do a video about pre-pro. What is pre-production? So have yourself a wonderful time and go write some songs, all right? And I'll see y'all real soon. Bye.